0: Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Tony Omani, the recruiting manager for a large consortium of companies that hires a lot of entry-level labor employees for the consortium companies, joins us to share his perspectives and experience. Listen as Tony shares his wealth of knowledge on the unique dynamics of white-collar and entry-level labor, the impact of the gig economy, and the minimum wage becoming a thing of the past. Tony Omani, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Hi, Tom. Hey, it's nice to have you. We're going to explore a little bit more about what you're all about and what you do and what your insight is today. But before we get there, let's figure out what you do in the world, who you work for, what you're all about. Let's start there.
1: I am with Employment Services Incorporated, HR services company for a large consortium of companies, and I am in charge of the recruiting team. I come from a background of human resources and recruiting, the staffing and recruiting industry was a big part of my career about five, six years ago. I was in the staffing and recruiting industry for about 10 years prior to that. And then I went into uh, direct human resource management for a manufacturing company, a smaller manufacturing company that did plating and powder coating. And now I am with ESI and uh, we manage about 1,200 employees for the consortium that we're with. Mostly manufacturing and the industry that we are in is material handling and shredding shredding equipment, right? I yes. mean you built yeah. shredding equipment. Yes, yeah, right. d- we so, don't do the shredding.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to connect the dots a little bit. A couple of weeks ago I put out on the LinkedIn network I I need somebody who understands recruiting, especially labor, entry level labor recruiting and and someone who knows that and as luck would have it our good friends who you work with at Amerishred were the ones who put, put us on to you. And you apparently work with them and they're like, they have a, a number of yes. different companies under that umbrella, but you do recruiting. ESI does recruiting on behalf of them, correct? And other do, HR yes. services. Yes. Okay. So yes. AmeriShred is
1: part of the consortium. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so I'm stating that up front because a couple of things I want everybody listening today to know. First and foremost, there is no sales pitch in this call because <laughs> you're you're not selling anything. You You don't sell anything. You already have your clients. You work for this consortium but they were kind enough to set you up to be on this interview because I think you have something really impo- important to say to our industry. You, you're peripheral to it because you one of your clients within this consortium spends a lot of time in our industry and we've had them on, on the show before. But I, I think really what we're going after today is to learn your insights, your perspectives on recruiting and the process of recruiting in an effective way in today's world. So let's start with what's the current landscape you're seeing? And maybe give us some context for that because I think your context matters a little bit in terms of where you are, where you're located, where you do this, because I think it speaks to the fact that most of the people listening to this show also have similar context. So give us a brief overview of the current landscape you're seeing for recruiting and hiring entry-level labor staff, but within the context of of your own environment.
1: Yeah, well, we are located in... Rural northern Michigan, primarily. We have business units throughout Michigan, even more so spreading into the Midwest, but primarily located in northeastern Michigan, mostly a rural area, like I said. And I don't think it's any surprise to, I'm sure, any of your listeners that recruiting is difficult. There's no doubt about it. Employment levels are, I should say, unemployment levels are fairly low. There's a lot of competition for entry-level folks, more so than ever minimum wage, I think is a thing of the past. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a minimum wage, but I don't think you can hire anyone for a minimum wage anymore. That's just just not going to find the talent and the skills that you need for that kind of price tag. That's what we're seeing, I think, in in all of our locations. When it comes to trying to attract the talent, I don't think there's any secret sauce. You've just got to have a reputation. You've got to have an offering. There's got to be a value proposition. It's got to be something in it for the employee more than just a more than just a paycheck, because you want more than just your average employee, right?
0: Yeah, and and I want to dig in because that you you just you just gave us a a whole juicy sentence there that has about an hour's worth of conversation loaded into it. So we will we'll jump into that. But obviously, because you're in a manufacturing environment, you're hi- hiring a lot of labor, especially entry level labor, physical type labor. As opposed to not that you're not hiring sort of white collar inside people, but do you see any distinctions in those two? I mean, anecdotally, I'm hearing a little bit of data in my network and in in the people I coach and work with that that white collar, let's just call it white collar for the sake of doing it right now, that white collar employees now becoming a little bit more, they're less volatile than, say, the entry level labor. Are you seeing that as
1: well? Yes, Yes, for sure. And and I think there's several reasons for that. One, I mentioned competition. If you're paying $14, $15 an hour for for entry-level labor, which is kind of where we're at around this area, I'm sure it's different in all different areas. You get into more metropolitan areas, I'm sure it's going to be higher. West Coast, things like that, it's it's going to be much higher. So the competition for the blue-collar, if we call it that, the blue-collar worker is stretched really thin because they can make that wage in, in many different ways. They drive an Uber, you know, the the gig economy, they can start a YouTube channel, start a podcast, right? I mean, all these things are so available out there that, that people aren't as concentrated into a path to say manufacturing or entry-level labor. They're just, there's so many different options for them to go.
0: Yeah. No, and it's a really good point, because I think as you get into those white collar jobs where you're paying more than, you know, above minimum, but you're, you're not that entry level place, you have sort of a particular capacity or capability that you've built. And even high trades people tend to have a different employment capability. Is this entry level person that doesn't have necessarily skill? You're saying has so many options available to them. And by the way, podcasts make no money. Just so we're clear, <laughs> um, if anybody in that blue collar world is trying to make a podcast to make money, don't don't follow my lead because it's not making any. <laughs> but all right, so let's let, given that given that that's the reality that's the context people have this struggle you unpacked a lot of stuff in a in that earlier statement so let's kind of dig in on that first one is this whole sense of wage stagnation and the cost of living increases and minimum wage. How, what are you seeing related to that in terms of how you're hiring? How is that creating difficulty with hiring entry-level wage workers? What are, you, what are you seeing both from the company side, companies that are doing the hiring, and the people that are looking to be hired? What are you seeing in the middle there?
1: And kind of go back a step from that, how how we got here I think is important to that conversation. So mm. back in the I, what I say, the beginning of the end of the pandemic. So yeah. I, I would say like early 2022, we started to see a lot of pressure on wages to get people to come back to work. Mm. And, and so you can, I, I think the inflation and, and all the pressure on wages now because of cost of living has gone up are because we had to raise wages to get people to come back to work in 2022. And I think that drove up That was driving inflation. I think that was a leading indicator Mm. in that and drove the inflation because we rapidly saw through 2022, your value meal at the fast food place go from five to $6 up to eight or $9. It didn't take long to do that. And that was because they had to pay people 12, $13, $15 an hour where they were paying nine or 10 before you'd paying more of a minimum wage. So I think that started it. Mm. And I think we're still there that has continued. Of course, once wages go up, it's like gas prices. Once they go up, they really don't come right. back down. Right. So when those entry-level wages got up to that point, they stayed there. And now inflation has caught up to those. And so now it's more of a de facto minimum wage right. where $14, $15 an hour for an entry-level laborer is, again, barely making ends meet right. With with the inflation. And I think, it, I think it was all caused by trying to get people back to work in the, in the pandemic. So where does that leave us now? You know, I, we can only go so high for entry-level labor, but we've got to identify those uh, soft skills, the transferable skills. I mean, when you're talking about manufacturing labor in particular, which, which I, I think we're kind of centered this around, manufacturing labor, if you're looking at someone who's been at McDonald's for two years, they've basically been on an assembly line right. for two years. They have the soft skills, you know, again, if they've been there for two years, they've been showing up for work, they're more than likely on time. They probably have a halfway decent attitude if they've been there for any length of time. So when, when you look at a resume or you look at a candidate, don't discount that they've been in fast food and that's not your industry. Look at it and say, what skills do they have from that industry that can transfer to mine? Right. But
0: you, you raised the whole element of, of COVID and what that impacted the industry. The The piece that, that I see and I, I hear anecdotally from clients and conversations I'm having is it's it's not just that rise in what is the entry-level wage to get somebody to actually work for you now in a labor position, blue collar. The other dilemma is actually actually getting them to, to come, to stay, to show up to all those kind of things. and And I think so often we think of it as a pricing conversation only, or what's the minimum wage, but I feel like there's way more to it than that. And I think the resignation continues, not just because of how much we pay somebody, but other things are going on. So again, given the context of Prices have risen to get people in the door. Now, uh, inflation is raised to that level, which is higher than everybody expects. And everybody kind of wants it to go back to what was. And to me, it's never going back. But there's this sense in this particular category of employee that the whole thing is screwy right now. I mean, they yeah. just they, they don't show up. They don't come. That's a, a complaint. They don't show up to interviews. What are you seeing related to that? And then we can dig in how to solve that in a bit. But what what are you seeing and what's your insight into what's actually going on with this other side of it? Not just how much we're paying them, but why they're not showing, why they're not coming, why they don't, they they accept a job, but the next day they they leave. So what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, and, and I, I don't want to get too deep into the whole generation this or generation that. Yeah. But, yeah, but they're, 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 the younger generation that's coming into the workforce that's filling these entry-level labor jobs. They're not looking necessarily for a career. They're looking to make ends meet for the time being, the vast majority of them that are, that are coming into those. So you gotta, you gotta meet them where they're at and they're looking for balance too. They're looking for a balance in their life between work and, and non-work. They want to be able to have their cake and eat it too. They, yep. they want to be able to earn, earn what it takes to make a living and then be able to enjoy that living at the same time. So you've got to, you've got to present that to them again, meet them where they're at. If they're looking for just something to get by, you've got to hang in there with them until they want more. And then you've got to be able to have that offering too. So it's it's somewhat generational. Some of it is educational where the skills needed are fairly basic and a lot of people don't have them. So how do you, how do you get people with those skills? It's not a matter of passing on candidates because they're not qualifying, because I, I think most of your listeners are probably willing to train anybody that will show up, show up on time and show up regularly. So you've got to assure them that if you can, if you can talk to them and get them, get them to your doorstep to keep that attention span that is so short or, or can be very short lived, like you said, less than a day. I've had people go to lunch and never come back on their first day. Right. Uh, so, it's, it's tricky because you can only tell so much from a fifteen-minute or twenty-minute conversation with somebody in an interview. Um, so, interviewing well, hiring well, which includes firing well—you know, if if you see that somebody's not going to make it, you, you've got to make that decision quickly and get them out of the shop before they can do a, any harm or damage. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know, it's it, it's very tricky. It, but what you were what you're primarily asking about is how do you get people to show up? I guess it's where you're looking for people. If you're, like I said, in manufacturing and there's those transferable skills from, say, fast food, then when you go to fast food uh, and you grab a meal and you see somebody with a good attitude and, you know, they look like they're working hard, what, talk to them. Say, right. hey, have you ever thought about doing right. this? Right. Always be recruiting. You know, they say always be closing. And that's, that's sales. Always be recruiting if you're a hiring manager, if, you're, if that's your responsibility, always be recruiting.
0: Right. So let's learn some lessons here. Cause it it's the thing that I've been pitching and promoting, which is you you're always in a recruiting process. So so let's unpack that a little bit because I think when a company's let's say they're a smaller shredding services company, they might have 20 people on staff and they're only hiring one to two people a month. Right. So they don't they don't get into and they might fill those two slots and then they they go, Well, I've got my two slots filled. I I can't recruit anymore and I go no 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 you got to think differently about this but let's actually go through the recruiting process cuz you you recruit a lot of people I mean you're you've got a mm-hmm. 1200 employee consortium that you're part of what are some of the ways you think about recruiting and let's maybe pa- unpack it from from job description and add to the actual process of doing early interviews to actually interviewing to like, let's unpack some of those things and, and give us how you might modify or what's working for you in terms of recruitment strategies to attract them, get them to the interview, get Mm -hmm. them to actually get through the first day and then get them through 30, 60, 90 days, whatever that, what are some of the things that
1: you're learning, seeing, and what, what recommendations might you give us? Sure. Well, we'll start from the beginning. The ad to attract the candidate, it has to catch them, and again, it has to meet them where they're at. So, you know, are you looking for an opportunity? It's not a, it's not a job. You know, explain yourself or your company a little bit, or your mission or your vision in the job ad. Something that's going to connect to somebody. You know, we we're in the in the market to provide our customers with this and our and our employees. Do it, you know, for these reasons. I mean, if you have a mission and a vision for your company, if you don't, you really should, you really should develop one. Take that mission and vision, translate that into a value proposition that you can put into an ad for an employee, because they're going to get more than just a paycheck. They're going to get a community of people working towards a goal. And I think that's going to attract a different type of candidate for you. Before
0: yeah. before we dive further there is a because when you're using a a tool like Indeed because that's generally where a lot of labor, mm-hmm. entry level blue collar labor tends to come in the door. To me, there's this this kind of debate, which is there's just the the there's the traditional ad, and then there's the ad that has some degree of energy to it. Like I look at them and I go seriously, I wouldn't want to look at that work at that job, even if it if even if it's fifteen dollars an hour. I no want to work at that job because. I can't even stand reading the ad. And what's your experience with just that? And I agree, the value proposition underneath of why you're coming to work here, what you're going to get, what are the
1: benefits to you of doing this? But how do you say it matters, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. It's got to be presented as a personal thing. Mm. I I want you to come to us because we need people like you. Mm. And we want you to like us. We want to like you. We, we want to get together as a community as a as, as a group and come together towards a common goal. If you can structure an ad that kind of brings that essence, that soul, the soul of your company, into that ad, then yeah, people are going to connect with that, and you're going to be able to to have that initial conversation because it's it's not necessarily about the the job responsibilities and the description and the shift time and all these other things that are in ads, right? It's what we're trying to do as a company, and we want you to be a part of it. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, then click that button, apply with us.
0: Ah, so good. I love that, Tony. That's, that's so good. So, okay, we get a good ad out there. One of the questions that comes up, should we be, like, if we're putting it out there and we're not getting any action, are we editing ads? Like, what are you guys doing in terms of, if this particular one doesn't fly, are you doing quick edits on it? How rapidly are you changing that ad structure on, sorry, your, your job platforms, your job posting platforms?
1: Yeah, I would say if you're running an ad for two weeks, look at the quality of the applicants that you're getting in the first few days, because that's probably where you're going to get get the most, yep. depending on, and if you're doing Indeed, you, you know, you're sponsoring it at some level, so you're spending some money there. See how many clicks you're getting, how many views you're getting in, in the application. See the quality of those. And and then reevaluate it. If you're not seeing the people that you want or you're not even seeing the quantity that you want, then yeah, make some tweaks to that. Try and get that back out there. What I found to be effective when we're talking Indeed is you run it for a couple of weeks, you put a budget on it of like what works for us. And I, I don't know if this is gonna work for everybody. What works for us is, is about $14 a day. If you put that budget of $14 a day for two weeks, it's gonna be about $210 for your ad to run. And that seems to be a really good spot for us Mm. that attracts the candidates. It's sponsored just enough. You're not overdoing it. You're not underdoing it. That that seems to be the sweet spot that we've found. Interesting. As far as a daily budget on on Indeed. And then per ad. Per ad. Per ad. Yes. Per ad. All right. So we've got an ad. We've personalized
0: it, which I think is really important, but we've infused it with our mission and vision in terms of what, what's going to change for them. And then obviously job description and the, the sort of standard stuff. But if you don't infuse it with something of value, you're likely not going to get a response. So then from there, what what are you finding works in terms of from the submission process to getting them to their first interview? Is there any insights you're gaining, especially in the labor market, in the, the blue collar labor market specifically, that is working, mm-hmm. that is is effective right now?
1: Yeah. If you have some basic questions that you want answered in that interview, whether it's going to be face-to-face or phone screening, I I prefer to do a quick 15, 20-minute phone screening. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what you're looking for, you know, as far as wage or career, what kind of job, what kind of work are you looking to do? And then some other basic qualifiers, you know, if, if, a uh, felony record is, is, is important to you, then ask them, have, have you ever been convicted of a felony or, or have you had any misdemeanors in the last few years, if, if that's important to you. I always ask the candidate if they feel confident that they'd be able to pass all the pre-employment screenings, which mm. might include a background check and a drug screen. You get a yes or no right there, you might be able to just move right on. Because especially, I'm in Michigan, so Michigan is a recreational marijuana state. And we still require drug screens and THC has to be clean. So we ask that question up front and most people will be honest if, if it's legal that, you know, whether or not they'd be able to pass that or not. And, and you can kind of move on right from there instead of going through the process and going, oh, right. by the way, we need to get a drug screen. And the guy goes, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah like or, all those, You know, maybe well, maybe in two more weeks, uh, you know,
0: deal with the non-negotiables quickly in that pre-screen interview. So in that pre-screen interview, what are are you actively, because you're doing it on behalf of the consortium, if they're coming through you, because you're likely doing the pre-screen before they get you, you pull the the specific candidates you like and send them into a more formal interview with the hiring entity, right? Yes. So in that early, how much pitch are you doing on behalf of what this job looks like, the benefits of this job, those kind of things? Because... I find sometimes that first pre-screening interview is mostly a get rid of people that don't fit, but then there's a lot of drop off between that point and getting them in the door to the next interview. So how much like pitching, selling of the opportunity happens at that
1: stage? A little bit. I'm not going to say it's 10, not tends not to be much. Again, we're trying to just pre-qualify people um, and find out more about what they're looking for now if if what they're looking for in that conversation because that's kind of an open-ended question if I like what I hear there then I'm I'm going into what we have to offer here's how things work this is in with with our consortium configuration it can be a little confusing so I try to describe to them how our organization is set up that you know we're not a staffing agency we actually place people directly we're not this isn't necessarily temporary work although we do have temporary positions that turn into full-time, but they wouldn't be hired by us. They would be hired by the actual business unit and that's who they would meet with. They would, and that's who they would be employed by, not by us like a staffing agency would be. So yeah, okay. I go, I go into that a little bit. Again, those conversations are are 15 to maybe 30 minutes tops. Okay, And that,
0: that does a pretty good job, at least in your experience with the consortium in terms of the recruiting side of things. Mm -hmm. That gives you enough to both pre-screen, sort, get rid of the people that aren't ever going to fit, but at the same time gives you enough momentum to go, yeah, this is somebody we want to pass on to the hiring entity. Yes. Okay. So how do you get them from there to make sure they show up? Is there any (laughs) secret sauce that you figured out? Because this is where a whole bunch of people drop off, Is in whether that's day or three days or something between Pre-screening and live interview, whatever that looks like, whether it's Zoom interview or in person, how do you keep that period working? What have you guys learned any, any insider secrets of that
1: one? Well, and and this may seem overly simplistic, but I think set a date and time. Don't just say, Hey, okay. I, I like what I hear. Come by the shop on Tuesday and, and I'll show you around and, and we'll talk some more. Say, okay. I like what I hear. Does Tuesday at two o'clock sound good to you? Come by. Make make it a make it a formal commitment. And, and I think that that helps. If if you can set a date and a time, that helps. It's an appointment, it's it's an agreement. You know, if the person says, yes, I can do that, or I need to get back to you, or or whatever the case may be. And and also not to take a step backwards, but in the beginning, don't chase down the candidates. If you call and leave somebody a message saying, I'd like to talk to you about your application, and they don't get back to you, don't don't keep after them because chances are they're not going to show up for that right. interview if you do end up talking to them. So, again, I didn't want to take a step backwards there, but that kind of part of that process as well. It's definitely
0: because um, you're already getting an insight into how they're going to act going forward. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. And, and so then they they get to that interview. And and are you at that point, are you exited the process such that now it's in the hiring entity's hands? Or are you involved in that that not the pre-screening interview, but the actual more complete interview with the hiring body.
1: yeah, the the, the hiring manager kind of takes it from there, so uh, the employee or the prospective employee would 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 show up to that interview, go through that process, and then we would then receive the feedback from the hiring manager. Mm. Good candidates offer, you know we'd like to offer them this, that, and then and then we would make that offer to that candidate, explain to them from there, this is the offer. It's a full-time offer, benefits in 30 days. This is the starting pay. This is the shift that we're offering you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if there's an acceptance of that, then we get them through the onboarding process and, you know, background check, drug screen, paperwork, all that kind of thing, get them set up for their first day.
0: Got it. So one of the other questions to me that sort of shows up in that is we talked about entry-level wage and that's risen with cost of living, but are you seeing any indication of Difference now in terms of benefits, perks, the speed with which those are delivered to the the new employee, hiring bonuses, any of that kind of stuff in this category.
1: We haven't seen much in the way of hiring bonuses. That was, that was a thing. Uh, yeah. I, I think in the in the last couple of years that, that's kind of fallen by the wayside okay. because I think people were being attracted to that and they would get that and then they would take oh, Ike right so. We haven't seen that be very successful, and and generally, just the money straight out money propositions don't tend to work long term, right? Because people are looking for that again, right. that community, that connection to the company, feeling valued, and providing something that the that the employer finds valuable. So, I, I think that's a that's a big key. But have you seen growth but, in the benefit stuff? Like, is is that
0: changed? Uh, are your are your consortium clients? Are your consortium hirers, companies having to improve their benefit package to support this, and is that a negotiating piece of this puzzle now, more with with entry level
1: labor? Our benefits are pretty standard, and we haven't really made a lot of changes in that aspect. You know, we offer you know the health insurance, and and, the, and we do that relatively quickly. So when the healthcare laws came out and everything, it, we decided that long ago that there would be this quick process, you know, it's not 90 days, it's the 30 days for us. Okay. So, you know, sometimes that's a competitive advantage that that folks only have to wait 30 days uh, for benefits. So if you can shorten that time up, if your benefits waiting period is 90 days or six months, then yeah, and look, or look around and see what others are doing. And if you can get, gain an advantage by having benefits quicker, absolutely. There's other things that you can entice folks for work-life balance. I've been dreaming for years, of how to implement an unlimited paid time off model in manufacturing, which I know probably scares the death out of most of your listeners. How would we do that? We would. Everybody would be gone all at the same time. And what a lot of companies that are doing, and, and most of this started in tech and then mostly in white collar jobs. But I, I think there's a way that you could do it in manufacturing. And if you can, if you can, if you can find a way to do it, I think that would put you leaps ahead of your competition as far as hiring. And I know most of your listeners are worried about their competition in business, but you've got to look at the competition you're up against for hiring as well. Oh. It's just as important as whoever's making a similar product to you and and, and their pricing and, and what they're doing for the, for for customers or, or taking your customers or, or you're trying to take somebody else's customers it's the same thing with employees.
0: Yeah, and I think in that in that category there's a lot of potential play from your benefit package. I think even flex scheduling, a lot of people are are talking but they really struggle to get over the finish line on four-day work weeks and different yeah. things like that. There's yeah. there's lots of different models out there. The question is, yeah. how do you go from where I am to where I I want to be to improve my hiring ability and my my stickiness of my employees. So I get that's a huge part of it.
1: Yeah, again with the generation that's coming into the workforce now, they are looking for work-life balance. In yep. any way you can provide that, 4-day work week is a fantastic example. That was something I was working on my my previous employer, uh, but they were unionized, so there was a whole process there right. to uh, to to get that kind of thing done and and I left before that was completed, but 4-day work week is fantastic like I said, if if there's a way to make unlimited vacation and unlimited vacation isn't really unlimited. I mean, yeah. obviously there's limits to it, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah, when you can offer anything like that, that's going to bolster that work-life balance, you're going to have an advantage over other employers. Yeah. That's really good. How important
0: are you seeing, especially because you have a consortium, so you have different companies. How important is the employer brand? Let's call it the the brand of, because I'm guessing within your consortium, there are companies that have better employer brands than others, right? They, they're known as a place that a current employees are actually telling others that come work with us.
1: Do yeah. you see a distinction in that regard? Absolutely. That is probably going back just one step is that factor that you talk to an applicant, they sound interested, you sound interested, and then they don't show up for the interview, maybe because they talk to a friend. And they said, oh, you don't want to work there. (laughs) Uh, So that absolutely can make or break it. And that's part of getting people in the door is having that brand. And again, I think it starts with a mission and a vision that you have for your business. And you bring people into that fold to be a part of that, to be a part of something more than just to show up and punch a clock and, and get a paycheck. So,
0: yeah, yeah. So crystal ball moment, maybe like we look out into this future and and in the next two, three years, what are you seeing? What's your crystal ball? Cause you do this mm-hmm. way more than the average bear. What are you seeing, especially with entry level positions? What's your, you know, that crystal ball a
1: sense right. from you? I I can't say good days are around the corner and not to be all doom and gloom, but the fact is that the What's going to continue is that we're going to have more people retiring out of the workforce than are yeah. entering the workforce, and that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And even though we're talking primarily about entry level entry level labor today, the mm-hmm. fact that your skilled trades are are retiring, you're going to have to fill those positions either from within or from outside, and then you're going to have to backfill those positions with entry with new entry level folks. So as you're moving people forward in their career. That have started with you, you're going to have to backfill. So it always comes down to entry level, really. You've got to have that pipeline of people to feed, so that you can move people up or what what I consider to be down through the funnel. Right. You've got the funnel of of entry level labor that gets filtered down into skills, skilled trades that gets filtered down into managers that, uh, and so on. So yeah, you've got to constantly feed that funnel. And of course, funnel the top is so much bigger than the bottom but as people are dropping out they've got to be able to continue to go down through that through that funnel. So so yeah, it sounds that, to me like you're saying
0: with especially with the retirement at especially if you're a slightly bigger company and you've got senior people in your company you're going to lose those. That's a non that's a reality. They're they're leaving you. You got to make sure you're filling and it's not just filling, to me, it's not just filling the, the top end of the funnel. It's making sure you're moving people internally in the system into the next stages of growth. And it's one thing just to keep hiring for the sake of hiring. It's quite another thing to make sure we got enough people in the tank to make this work. So, all right, a couple more questions than I've done. I promise I, I told you I'd only take 30 minutes and you're giving me so much good stuff. So, what common misconceptions are you aware of that that a lot of say your clients and we're calling them clients because I realize mm-hmm. they're but your clients what are some misconceptions they have about entry level labor that you'd like to debunk what what are they thinking and they come to you and say, "Oh, you're never going to find this person or or these people all stink or whatever i mean what is there any misconceptions that you see because you see so many opportunities in front of you?
1: Yeah. I, I think a lot of my clients and and, and I'm sure maybe even uh, some of your listeners feel that the current workforce or the, or the folks that are coming into the workforce now are extremely apathetic and and very entitled and unskilled. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. Is it anecdotally? Yes. Yes. You're going to find those people. They're there. They've always been there. Yeah. But I think to kind of discount an, an, an entire group you're doing a disservice to your business because those folks are out there. They, they want things a little different. They're not coming to work. Like say maybe we did because it was, it was what you did. You went to work right. and you worked hard and you earned a living. They're not doing it because it's the norm. Folks entering the workforce today want to get something out of it more yes. than just a paycheck. Yes. So that's, that's the big difference. And that's where, Maybe it comes across as entitled or, you know, they want, they want more than maybe what the market will bear for their skills. That's because they grew up being told that they could be anything that they want. Right. 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 That was, that was the thing. You can grow up, you can, you can be president of the United States. You can be an astronaut. You can, you can, yes. you can do anything. What we forgot to tell them is, is that you've got to have the, the mindset and the discipline to go get those things. Right. Yeah, you've got to you got to approach the incoming workforce a little bit differently and don't just write them off as entitled or apathetic because they really do care. You've just got to give them something to care about and then they're going to come to you.
0: Yeah, and I think you raised one earlier and I just want to re- restate it because I think it's so important is you see these people all the time. You're just not looking Um, And and for this audience, particularly, which is, you know, shredding companies that have either truck based drivers or shred truck drivers or plant based people, support workers, those those kind of people. A lot of times you're in a restaurant, like you said, and there's this attitude rich employee and I'm talking a good attitude and you completely miss them because they're in retail. They're not in services. I mean, in your type of services. Don't miss that. And if you're always recruiting that person, I encourage clients to actually have a card in them which says, I'm hiring somebody that looks like you Mm -hmm. and actually take that with you and actually make it a part of what you're doing. So. That I, I think it's really important to not underestimate people who are in different jobs that don't look like your job, people who are younger in this new generation where we think they're all write-offs. They're not. There's a whole bunch of them that, oh my gosh, I wish I had their capability when I was their age. They're just a lot of them are extraordinarily smart and committed. They just have to, it has to fit your world. So final question before we call this one. A new consortium member comes to you. Let's say you get a new consortium member and they have a lot of more servicey type stuff there, but they're hiring a lot of entry labor staff and they have no clue. And you have to give them two immediate pieces of advice. What are the two most important pieces of advice you give them before they go on a hiring spree? What are, what are the two or, or maybe three things you're gonna say, this is critical to your
1: success based on everything you know right now? You have to know who you're looking for. To do that, you have to know who you are as a company which means you've got to identify that mission and vision for your company. Because once you know who you are, then you're going to know who you need, and then you can go find them. You've got to do that first. So I would say that would be my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice would be really what we just talked about. When you're looking for people, don't say, well, they've never worked in my industry before. There's transferable skills out there that maybe you hadn't thought of. Again, building hamburgers, building shredders, different scale. But somebody is in there following directions and following a plan, and and checking for quality while they're doing it. There's a lot of transferable things there. Yeah. So yeah, what, what, what we just what we just discussed that would be my second piece of advice is don't don't pass anybody up that has some transferable skills.
0: Yeah. And so it's really important out of that one, which is understand that everybody has transferable skills. You just have to be able to see them because you got to yes. train to. I mean, you still have to train them how to do the thing you're doing. But recognize that a lot of skills that are developed in part-time jobs in these kind of jobs that don't look like they fit actually mm-hmm. have a great fit. But you have to train them yeah. from that, not,
1: not just to your thing, but from what they've already got. So, And, and well, that would be my, my third piece of advice, if I want to go that far, would be be prepared to train. If you're going to be bringing people on, be prepared to indoctrinate them to your way of doing things. And, you know, showing them some, some, some skills and how you want things done. Again, they're going to, if they're the learner and there's transferable skills there, but spend the time with them, uh, you know, assign them a mentor, uh, whatever it takes to, to sponsor that employee into your organization, where they're going to feel part of that community and part of the mission to get things done.
0: Mm. So good. Such a great way to end this conversation. So make sure you know who you are so you know who you're looking for so you can go find them. Look for transferable skills and be prepared to keep training them to bring them into this community as a way to keep them connected to you for a long time. Tony, you are the bomb, man. Thank you. This has been so good. And I I know that anyone listening is going to get some insight from this. We're not going to make a big pitch because you're not selling anything. So all I'm going to say is a an enormous debt of gratitude for you sharing your wisdom and your experience and your perspective. I think it's been so helpful and uh, really appreciate you doing this with us. Glad to do it, Tom.
1: Thank you so much. I had a good time
0: thanks again for listening to the shred coach podcast with tom adams make sure to visit TomAdams.com for executive coaching advisory board services podcasting training and more and subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new strategies tips and ideas
1: from trusted shredding and business professionals